this week uh, we're continuing to talk about uh, the, the Advent season. This was the second week of Advent. We lit the second candle. We celebrate the coming of Jesus. Um, and, and this week I want to take a little bit different approach to the passage and I, uh, or to the season. And I just want to encourage you. I'm getting, I'm supposed to land a plane. My wife is signaling me. What? I don't understand. No, 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 not yet. That happens later. See, this is the kind of thing that I wanted to hide from Facebook. But look, y'all, when your wife is signaling something and you don't get it, you better get it. This is discipleship. It don't matter if you look foolish. It doesn't matter if you feel stupid. You figure out what your wife is saying to you. Because she is God's tool for your life. She's your helper, and you need to receive that help in Jesus' name. So, just discipleship. <laughs> the passage we're looking at today is a simple one. It's Psalm chapter 34, verse 8. This is written by King David. King David is oftentimes referred to as the psalmist. Not because we forgot his name, but because uh, he wrote so many psalms uh, that it's oftentimes we can just kind of group these in and be like, this is by the psalmist. And, and that's generally understood to be King David. Psalm 34 verse 8 says this. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. This is God's word to us. Father, we love you. I thank you for your word. I thank you that you inspired men throughout, throughout the ages to put your heart and mind on paper for us so that we could approach you and be transformed by you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to make just a few observations and then I want to, I want to illustrate something for us today. The first is that if you look at this passage, you'll see that it says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And Lord is written in all caps. Have you ever seen that when you're reading your Bible? That sometimes Lord is written in all caps. And sometimes Lord is written with a capital L and then a lowercase O-R-D. And then sometimes it's just lowercase L-O-R-D. And the reason is because they're trying to communicate several different words. But it's the same word for us in English. It had different meanings for them. As stated above, the word Lord written in all caps or in small caps occurs in the Old Testament and it's a replacement for God's Hebrew name, Yahweh. Or what we actually, how we say it is Yahweh. Uh, we actually don't know how it was pronounced by, by the Israelites. We don't know how it was said then, but, but the word Yahweh is translated as Lord, all caps, and it's a proper name of God. The, the Israelites held the name of God in such high regard that they didn't even want to say his name. You'll see that even some Orthodox Jewish people today will write the name God, G hyphen D, because they want to give such reverence and, 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 um, and res, well, respect. They want to give such credit to the name of God that they don't even want to say it because they wouldn't be able to say it with enough sincerity and enough devotion and enough piety to be worthy of God. And so it's quite a, quite a long fall from, 
from many of us who kind of flippantly throw around God and we'll use it to, you know, as an expletive. We'll use it, you know, when we're just really excited or we'll use it when we're really angry and we'll use it any, uh, any number of ways. But uh, they had such a high regard for the name of God and, and that they, they wouldn't use it carelessly. This is one of those things that when we see the word Lord, you could just know that, man, they're talking about God and it's a significant it's, a, it's the proper name of God, and it's bringing with it all the weight and all the honor and all the glory of God. Did the, did the feed die? Is it dead? I couldn't hold it. She was throwing it up. Oh, could you? Could, yeah, if you just start it and put it on the chair, that'll work. We'll welcome them back. Can I pause? Is that okay, everybody? Awesome. So Jessica Boyer is on bed rest. Do you know Jessica? We'll talk about her a little bit while she's... I'll like mask it as a prayer request. Let's all pray for him. You ever had somebody do that to you? Have you ever done that? Masked gossip as a prayer request? No? Yeah? Maybe? Oh, you got to pray for so-and-so. They just, they're in jail. (laughs) The Southern equivalent, it would always end with bless their heart. You're not blessing anybody's heart right now except for your own. And you feel pretty good that they're in jail and you're not, don't you? That's typically how it goes. If we can't, you'll figure it out. Okay. So um, so the word Lord with the capital L and the lowercase O-R-D occurs in the Old Testament referring to God. It usually is a rendering of the word Adonai. It's a name or title of God that emphasizes the lordship of God. Uh, there's, also, there's also a word kurios. Now you'll see that in the New Testament Almost universally, if you see the word uh, Lord in the New Testament with a capital L and then a lowercase O-R-D, it's referring to the, lo- the word kurios, and it's a Greek word for master. The, uh, the word kurios was so often used that we, people would greet each other with a greeting, kurios Caesar, that Caesar is Lord. Caesar rules over all, and the Christians, what they would do, hey, welcome back if you're on Facebook Live. We missed you. We talked about you. <laughs> um. Curios, they would say, Curios Caesar, Caesar's Lord. And the Christians would reply by saying, Curios Jesus. Because they had no Lord but Jesus. You know, we don't know a lot about taking that stand very often in, in the United States. When we take the stand, it's oftentimes in secret, isn't it? We say, Curios Jesus, when we turn off the TV, when, when something uh, that we shouldn't be watching is coming on. We say, Curios, Jesus. Maybe somebody's not going to walk up and say, Curios, you know, the thug life, you know, and you're like, no, Curios, humility. You know, we like, people aren't coming out and saying, Curios, Beyonce. But, but we can in our life and our lifestyle say that something else other than Jesus is Lord. And so the way that we hold ourselves, the way that we carry ourselves, the way that we interact, the way that we talk, the way that we love, the way that we relate should all say, Curios, Jesus. Jesus is Lord. He's the master of my life. He's the Lord of my life. So we see that he says, uh, taste and see that the Lord, and we're seeing this as the proper name of God, is good. Now here's the trick. All of the English translations that I saw choose to translate this word good or choose to use the the Hebrew word that the psalmist used as good. 
They agree on this. Even the Amplified Version of the Bible. Now, the Amplified Version takes a lot of different meanings of each word and kind of lays them out so that you can get the broadest idea of what the passage is trying to say. So they'd be like, it is good, better, best, well, fine, excellent, wonderful, meaningful, significant, right? And, and, but even the, even the Amplified here says good. It's like the best word, the best use of this word is good. But what I don't want us to do is to understand the way that they're using the word good and the way that this word good is being understood and confuse it with the way that we use the word good and the way that we understand the word good. They chose the word good not because it's just I, not just because it's okay, not because it's better than most. They chose the word good because there's no bad in it. Uh, the, the word good uh, translates more literally to beautiful. Some alternate translations would be pleasant, pleasant to a higher nature, better than anything that you could experience in this plane, bringing joy and happiness and fulfillment, excellent in its kind, valuable in its estimation. So there's, there's significance to this word good that's beyond the word as we use it. I praised my puppy this morning for peeing in the grass instead of on my floor by saying, good dog. And it would be a mistake to mistake my good dog for not peeing in my house and giving it the same level of authority and the same level of value that this psalm is giving to God here in saying that the Lord is good. Does that make sense? And I think sometimes we can get, we can get excited about things and, and speak about words with, with, uh, or speak about events or other things with, with, in superlative ways and be like, that was awesome. When really we mean, it was good. I'm guilty of that. I do it a lot. I'm, I'm an excitable person. You know that. I'm like, it was amazing. It was awesome. It was wonderful. And it was like, it was ice cream. You know, it was ice cream and it's like it, like it will be next week and like it was and, and, you know, it was good. It was ice cream. But I'm excited about it. But we, we need to make sure that when we read something like this, we don't, just, we don't just pass over it and be like, oh, the Lord is good. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's good. No, no, no. He's, he's, he's good in that there's no bad in him at all. There is nothing that could be better about him. Um. When the um, when Jesus was approached by this rich young ruler in Luke chapter eighteen, this young guy came to Jesus and he said, "Good teacher." And Jesus said, "Well, why do you call me good? There's none good but God." Now, some people will look at this passage and say, "Well, see, God, Jesus was denying that he was God there, and he wasn't doing that." What was happening right here is that when Jesus said, "Why do you call me good? There's none good but God," he was actually he was actually doing what good rabbis did, and he was asking questions to teach, kind of like Yoda. But he's not a rabbi, and that's a terrible example. <laughs> but he was asking questions to teach. And so he pulls out these questions and he's, and he's talking to him and he's saying, he's saying, do you know that I'm really good? Or are you just trying to flatter me? Let's figure out what's going on in your heart. Right? It'd be kind of like if somebody walked up to me and said, hey, David, how you doing? And I was like, why do you call me David? And that'd be awkward. Actually, Alice did that to me last week in the hallway. 
after the service, Alice, one of our, one of our members was, was teasing me. And, and, you know, so she and her, her sister, Evelyn, they were like, do you, do you, can you tell us apart? Do you know our names? And they were messing with me. And yeah, that's right. Go ahead. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. You're here. Uh-huh. If I had control of the camera, I'd put you on it right now. But what happened is, so it was like, I, I knew their names, but then she's like, why are you calling me that? And then I got, I panicked. And I was like, hey, you know, I'm just kind of guessing. I, I'm not good at this. This is stressful. This is why I don't talk to people. I want to go home. <laughs> I don't even want to be here. Church is hard. <laughs> right? So, so, but it was like, I'm calling you that because that's your name. But I didn't have confidence in that moment. I panicked. I was like, I don't know why I'm calling you that. Will you forgive me? No. We made it through. We made it okay. I, I kind of knew most people's names. But this happened with the rich young ruler, and he comes up, and he's like, good teacher. Jesus is like, why are you calling me good? There's only one that's good, and it's God. Now, the rich young ruler had an opportunity here. He could have passed the test. He'd be like, I'm calling you that because you're God. But he didn't realize it. He didn't realize it. It hadn't been revealed to him yet. Peter would get it. Jesus was asking him, who do you say that I am? Who do people say that I am? They're like, some people think you're a prophet. Some people think you're this. Some people think you're that. So who do you say that I am? He said, you're the Christ. You're the son of the risen God. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus is like, hey, nobody here revealed that to you. The Holy Spirit revealed that to you and you're right. You realize the rich young ruler was just a, a, a wink away, just, just one phrase away from getting a similar condom, uh, commendation, commendation. If he had really known who he was talking to, he wouldn't go down as the young man who was unwilling to follow Jesus. He would have been the young man who had a revelation of who Jesus is. And so this idea of God being good is that there's only one that's good and it is God and that goodness is fulfilled completely in Jesus Christ. The psalmist in Psalm 34 is encouraging us to resist the temptation to let the goodness of God become bland to us. He's saying, stir yourselves, stir your emotions, stir your heart, stir your mind to remember and acknowledge and recognize the goodness of God. And in this Christmas season, it'd be really, really easy to get really comfortable with the eight pound, six ounce baby Jesus. All too easy to hide behind the Christmas carols and to hide behind the activity and the office parties and the giving lots of gifts and, and just be comfortable with the fact that Jesus is a good God and he came to earth to show us what God in flesh looks like. It'd be so easy just to look past the whole meaning of it. This isn't a sermon about we should say Merry Christmas instead of Happy Holidays. If somebody wants to write Happy Holidays on their window, good. What's the alternative? Sad holidays? What, what? I said this last week, but it's like, why would we expect somebody who doesn't worship Jesus to celebrate the birth of Jesus? The real problem is that when those of us who believe in Jesus aren't celebrating the birth of Jesus, that's where the problem lies. Let's celebrate, not become familiar and comfortable and casual 
with the significance of God. And he's saying, so he's saying, taste and see. Now there's this really, so, so it really means taste and he really means see. Let me illustrate something for you real quick. A dove makes a really good sea salt caramel dark chocolate bar. It is delicioso. How about that, Deanna? Yeah, I got thumbs up from our Spanish translation. She's like, that's a lot better than your attempted announcement last week. Now you know, because I just told you that Dove makes a really good chocolate bar. But you haven't experienced it yet. You haven't tasted it yet. You haven't seen it yet. I could tell you some rules about how to enjoy it. Don't leave it in the sun. Probably shouldn't leave it in your pocket. Don't feed it to your dog. You know, don't unwrap it and leave it somewhere and then come back and eat it and think that it's not damaged. I could talk to you about the rules about how to eat this chocolate bar and what to do and what not to do, but you haven't experienced it yet. I could talk to you about the ingredients. Uh, In this case, it includes semi-sweet chocolate and caramel, which both both consist of a lot of ingredients. And so we could break down even further and we could look at what goes into the chocolate and what goes into the caramel. I actually did a little bit of research. (laughs) The partial chemical makeup of semi-sweet chocolate, it actually turned out to be a really stressful exercise. So sugar turns out is really complicated. You see the picture? Chocolate, theobromine, whatever. That's like the cocoa stuff. And then you got cocoa butter, the triglycerides. I mean, these are the ingredients as it's listed out. And then you got soy lecithin. I know less about what that is than I did before I looked it up, but at least uh, there's a nice picture to go with it. And then milk. Turns out milk is, it doesn't have its own like chemical drawing because it's got a whole bunch of stuff in it. And that's as much as I felt like doing before I got tired and just put in a picture of chocolate. <laughs> but you haven't experienced it yet, have you? So if, my, if, if you could come forward and help us, please. Oh, you seeing it? You seeing what's happening? You see about what's, what's about to go down? You can't get this on Facebook Live. We're eating chocolate. <laughs> so we're passing this out. We can talk about the rules. We can talk about the recipe. We can break it down to its chemical composition partially. I didn't even get into the caramel. I was like, I quit with milk. I I don't even know what's happening. Milk has carbohydrates and proteins and other things. (laughs) I was a communication major, not a science major. Can you tell? By the way, for you science nerds, there's a, uh, a new heavy metal on the periodic chart. How excited are you about that? It's pretty cool. I don't know. Just killing time while they pass out chocolate. So go ahead. Let's do this all together, kind of like communion. That was, I'm going to hell. That's exactly why I don't do Facebook Live. Everybody got their chocolate? All right. So we've, 
We've talked about this. We know the rules. Don't put it on your pocket. Don't, don't put it in your pocket. Don't rub it on the floor. Don't feed it to your dog. Don't overheat it. Don't eat it in the wrapper. We know some rules about this, but that doesn't help us enjoy it at all or experience at all. We just know it is gluten-free in case you're wondering, but it's made in a plant that processes milk. It actually has milk. We know the rules about this thing. I've described the ingredients. Have you enjoyed it yet though? Not a bit. Oh, somebody else already ate it. (laughs) You win. All right. All right, you ready? So go ahead. You can take a little tiny bite out of it or you can take a big old, or you could just go for it. But, right? And then don't swallow it too quick. Just let it stay in your mouth for a second because you'll miss the salt that's in there. Now this analogy falls apart because this is actually bad for you. It's dark chocolate. Thank you. Filled with caramel. It was pretty good, right? And you, you put it in your mouth and you can savor it. And you can enjoy it. I shouldn't have eaten it. It's going to be all slurpy on the podcast. <laughs> you ever listen to NPR and you can hear them breathing in the microphone? It's so obnoxious. <laughs> all right. That's bothering me. I can't even stand that. <laughs> Hold on. All right. There's a difference between talking about a thing and describing a thing and actually beholding and enjoying and savoring a thing. And the psalmist is warning us, and I think it's a good warning to take in in the Christmas season. Don't just become casual with this. Don't just accept it. Don't just look past it. Don't accept it as bland. Don't just let it go. Don't just let it happen, but savor it. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You got to stop for a second. And didn't you get a little bit excited? I know I did. When I was unwrapping it, I'm like, I was a little impatient. You know, I'm like, oh, I hope this actually tastes good because I haven't had one in a little bit and I'm, they're going to think I'm lying, you know? And it's like, I, I just want to taste it. And is it as salty as I remember? And is it as sweet as I remember? Is it as bitter as I remember? Is it, is it going to be as good as I remember it being? And there was some anticipation and looking forward to it. And we should anticipate and look forward to meeting with Jesus and to seeing Jesus. And so the question, I think this naturally brings to the surface is, so we can taste and see by going to Safeway and buying some chocolates, but how do we taste and see that the Lord is good? So just some thoughts as, as I close. I think it starts with acknowledging him, that he exists. Just, it starts that simply. You don't have to go way deep into uh, the deep theological truths and wrestle with the historicity of scripture and whether or not how it was translated and all these other things. You don't need that to have more confidence in Jesus. You, you it just starts simply with acknowledging that he exists. We have, a, we have built into us the knowledge that he exists. It's called general revelation. And we look out and we see things and it tells us, it reminds us that God is real. And with that revelation that God is there, that he's present, we, we make a decision. We either accept it joyfully. Well, actually, I guess there are lots of, in be- there's a lot of room in between, but we accept it joyfully or we reject it wholeheartedly. And there's a whole mess of stuff in the middle. And where it's like, I like it sometimes and I hate it and I like to hate it and I love 
to want it. And, you know, there, there's all these confusing emotions between the two, but those are the two extremes. We accept it or we, re- we reject it. <clears throat> Now, you might disagree, and you might say, no, maybe you don't believe in God. Maybe you're here because somebody dragged you here. And you're like, I don't believe in God. I don't, I don't believe in Jesus. I don't believe in any of these things. And I reject, David, that, that I am rejecting God. I don't even, I've never felt that he was real. I, I would say that, I would say the reason, I would say that it might be more subconscious than you realize, but if you've ever been bothered by the fact of God or bothered by the possibility of God, like it's made you mad, I would tell you that's proof that he exists. If you've ever been mad that God has let you down, that's, that's proof that he exists. If you've ever been disappointed that, that God didn't come through, that's, that's proof that he exists. Now you're mad at him, you're disappointed with him, you're angry, you're, you're heartbroken over something. I can, I, can, I can meet you there. I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt. Well, no t-shirt, but I've been there and done that. And this is why I say this, because nobody gets angry about Santa. Nobody gets angry when somebody believes in Santa. Because we know in our hearts that we have no accountability to Santa. But when somebody believes in God, we know innately that we have accountability to this God and that bothers us. Does that make sense? So if somebody talks about, you know, uh, a lot of atheists talk about the flying spaghetti monster. As like, well, you just created God the same way I created a flying spaghetti monster. And you talk about Jesus the way that I, you created your God and I've created my God and he's a flying spaghetti monster. But the idea of a flying spaghetti monster has never made somebody feel convicted. Nobody's been angry about this imaginary flying spaghetti monster because it has no ability to convict. It has no ability to, to, uh, to be against the things that we otherwise want for ourselves. Where, where Jesus sometimes stands in exact opposition to the things that we want. We hate that. Or we love it and we welcome it. So we acknowledge that he exists. I'd say that one of the ways that we can do this, just for all of us, especially during this holiday season with all the cookies and food and candy and everything, by the way, I handed out chocolate and everything, and we got donuts, Christmas donuts in the lobby. We really do believe in being healthy. <laughs> Our goal is to be healthier a year from now than we are right now, and that's, that's still real. It's just that was my candy for the day. Make, make sense? Yeah. All right, just saying. <laughs> be confusing. I, I, I talked to, a, to, a, to Pastor Brett about this, and I was like, I think I want to hand out candy. He goes, you should probably hand out something healthy because... God is really good for you. And I was like, yeah. (laughs) And I was stressed all week trying to think of something healthy. I was stressed, stressed out. And I was like, what do we pass out figs? Pass out grapes. We could just take it, pluck off a grape. And so I went with the hygienic option. Sorry, Pastor Brett. I hope you're not watching. 
we can recognize that everything that is good and pleasant comes by his hand through his benevolence. How cool is it that God didn't only create pleasant things, but he gave us the ability to enjoy them? Right? And both of those things had to be tuned to each other in order to work well. Because he could have created really pleasant things without giving us the ability to enjoy it. Or he could have given us the, the ability to enjoy pleasant things and not have created pleasant things. But he's tuned it so that, so that both of these things work in tandem with each other and we get to enjoy pleasant things with himself being the most pleasant of all things. We get to recognize and acknowledge good things with him being the goodest of things. So that worked. Thank you, JC. For the aim. The third thing is to trust him. If we go back to the passage, that the way that it, this verse ends, he said, blessed is the man that trusts in him. That word is to take refuge in him. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. So one of the ways that we taste the presence of God and the reality of God in this season, we acknowledge that it is. We give him credit for the pleasures of life and we use that to stir us to enjoy him more than any, any temporary pleasure, right? The chocolate's kind of wearing out of your mouth. You can taste it a little bit, but in another, uh, another 10 or 15 minutes, you're going to forget that you ate it. The flavor's going to be gone and, it, and you'll be dissatisfied and wanting something else. But he's the enduring goodness that, that once we taste of him, we get to enjoy him forever and it only gets sweeter and it only gets better and we only get healthier. We only get transformed to, to a stronger place, to a more humble place, to a more Christ-like place. So we take refuge. So instead of trying to do it all by ourselves, we recognize, we acknowledge, we surrender to the fact that he's the only one who can handle our situation. If you're hurting in this holiday season, your heart is sad because it's reminding you of loss or it's just stressful. And, and you know, there's all sorts of stress going on at the holidays and there's family stress and there's work stress, there's year-end finance stress. I'm not trying to stress you out by reminding you of these things. I'm just trying to acknowledge that you might have brought some of that with you today. The solution isn't to solve all of this by yourself, but the solution is to find refuge in Him. The one who desires and in, 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 in he desires to and has the means to be able to protect you and to provide for you and to care for you. We take refuge in his, in his words, in the Bible, opening it up and, and seeing what the Bible says about him, which is really seeing what he says about him. And being like, oh, these are the things that are on God's heart. These are the things that are on God's mind. Instead of just going by what the culture has said, he said, or by going by what, you know, some meme on Facebook said he said or is the way he is. But, but tasting and seeing for yourself by finding refuge and reading and saying, who are you, God? I remember when I did that in college. It, it was college before I did it. I was, I was a strong believer. I was engaging people with my faith and, um, you know, leading Bible studies and everything else. And, and this, guy, this guy came up to me. He said, you only believe what you believe because that's what you came up with. And it shook me a little. I was a freshman in college, and so I said, well, maybe that's true. Let's find out. So I remember sitting down at my desk, and I prayed a prayer, and I said, God, uh, who are you? 
Will you teach me? What do you think about? What's your, what's, what's your priority? Is Jesus God? Or is there some other message here in the Bible? And the news was only better than I had ever imagined. So we find it in his word. We find it in worship by joining together and celebrating what we learn in the word and what we know from our lives together. Right? Like I can sing by myself at home. It's about the appropriate place for my gift at home. (laughs) But I love coming and singing with you all. You know, church, I realize, I think sometimes, like church is the only place, the church service is the only place where people come together and sing songs together. You might go to a Christmas carol, sing along. Those are dying or dead. Right? There's nowhere else that you go and you, and you, you sing together because, because not everybody can share the testimony that the singer is singing. But the songs that we sing together on Sunday morning, it's, we've each got our own testimony tied to the words that we're singing. So when I sing about the goodness of God, it means something different to me than it means when you sing the goodness of God. But together we can agree and we can stir one another on and cheer each other on and be like, man, God is good. And you're like, yeah, God is good. God is good. And I'm encouraged by by your perspective of God's goodness. And hopefully you're encouraged by my perspective of God's goodness. I think the last way we can taste and see in this Christmas season is to take part in the work that he has for us. It's not just about tasting and seeing and enjoying and sitting. As JC highlighted in the offering message, it's not about just receiving everything to yourself. Now, we didn't share our chocolate. But we should be sharing God. We should be taking the much that God has given us in terms of an outpouring of his love and his grace and his mercy and demonstrating that to the people in our lives. We should be taking the resources that God has given us and finding ways to spread that out to do its greatest work in the community and maybe internationally, depending on what God puts on your heart. But God has specific, he doesn't just call us to a relationship with him to save us and then so we can just be saved. But he calls us with good works in mind. There are good works that can be accomplished in your workplace. It's not like I can, I can do my Christian work and then my work work. It's like, no, you can do Christian work in your work. It means doing it with the highest levels of integrity and honesty. It means showing compassion and, and being truthful. It means, it means loving the people who are there. It's being a friend. When we share in the work of God, we experience some of him that we would never experience otherwise. You know that salt that you had to wait for with the chocolate? The salt and the caramel, you had to wait a second to taste the salt? Work is like that. As you're working, the salt starts to show up and you're like, oh, this is sweet. Oh, these relationships are sweet. God, you care about this too? God, that's on your heart. That's on your mind. What else is on your mind? What else is on your heart? How else can I, can I know you and participate with you and be with you and walk with you in, in my day today? My encouragement today is simply don't get casual 
about Christmas. Don't get casual about Jesus. But take advantage of the fact that Christmas carols are being sung all throughout our community. It's on the radio, all these songs glorifying Jesus, celebrating the birth of our Savior. Don't let it get bland. Don't tune it out because you don't like the way that artist does it or you don't like that song. Don't let those things bother you. Use it as an opportunity to stir your heart, to stir your emotions, to stir your affections, to taste and see that in fact the Lord is good.